0: This episode came out of a conversation over dinner that we had with the detectives about the fight, flight, or freeze reaction people experience when they find themselves in high stress situations. And it's where we learned about the term, the goofy loop. The episode starts with a story that I've heard Zibby tell several times about the night she was accosted. It goes on to reveal how no one is immune to the dangers of the goofy loop, not even trained law enforcement personnel.
1: I'm Yardley. And I'm Zibby. And we're fascinated by true crime.
0: So we invited our friends, detectives Dan and Dave,
1: to sit down with us and share their most interesting cases.
2: I'm Dan. And I'm Dave. We're identical twins, and we're detectives in small-town USA. Dave investigates
3: sex crimes and child abuse. Dan investigates violent crimes, and together we've worked on hundreds of cases, including assaults, robberies, murders, burglaries, sex abuse, and child abuse.
2: Names, locations, and certain details of these cases have been altered to protect the privacy of the victims and their families.
1: I moved to Los Angeles many years ago now I was about a week in, and at that time I didn't have my own place to stay, so I was staying at a friend's of my brother's in a relatively nice area. It was all nice homes or those big giant duplexes. And I had been visiting a friend, so it was late at night when I returned home. I was driving an SUV at the time, and I parked in front of the house under a street light. And I was finishing up a phone conversation with my boyfriend at the time. So I had been in the car on the phone, the parked car, for about 10 minutes, roughly. When I finished the call, I get out of my car and walk around the car to the sidewalk to open the passenger side to get my bag out. Just as I'm doing that, someone crawls out, kind of like Spider-Man, from underneath my car and pops up right in front of my face. And my mind wasn't processing what was going on. So I believe I said, oh, sorry, sort of just as a default. And then he grabbed my throat. And I heard in my head, oh, fuck, I'm being attacked. Fuck no. And then out of nowhere, all I could do was say fuck you over and over and over again. It was just coming out of me. I don't know how loud it was. I think it was coming out as loud as I possibly could, and I was just flailing my arms and legs, trying not to let him get a good grip on me. But right on the heels of that, I was suddenly smelling this very pungent scent of what I kept thinking was his fear. And I don't know you know, I don't know why. I mean, this is all so instinctive at this point. There's no real time. I I don't know what time was doing. And So we were going on like this for who knows. It could have been 30 seconds. It could have been five. It could have been a minute. I really don't know. It felt like a long time in that moment when another guy came out from underneath my car in the same fashion and popped up, and he had a knife, which I saw. And the first, I almost called him a gentleman, (laughs) the first gentleman, the first attacker sort of spun me around toward the second guy with the knife, and the guy with the knife did a sort of a stroke down, like from top to bottom at me and cut my shirt open vertically, but didn't manage to get my skin. And in that moment, I thought, oh, now I'm not going to be okay. I didn't smell fear coming off of him. Uh, I was in over my head. I was outnumbered, and this is when I slowly started to give up in a certain way. The two guys had me now up in the air. The second attacker had my feet. The first attacker, the guy who I felt was afraid of me, had me by the neck. And their getaway car comes screeching around the corner. It's a small car jam-packed with guys in it. And the driver flings the passenger side door open, and they're all yelling, get her in the car, man, get her in the car, let's go, let's go, let's go. The second attacker who had my feet starts pulling me toward the car, and the first guy holding my neck didn't move. And we looked up at each other. I made eye contact with him, and he said to the second attacker, let her go. And the second attacker was like, what the fuck, man? No, no, no. What? You, don't do this to me, man. Fuck you. You know, something like that. Again, he said, let her go. And I was saying to you guys last night, I genuinely cannot remember if if the first guy had a gun or not. It's so foggy in my mind. But whatever it was, in one version of my mind, he pulled a gun out and pointed to the other guy and said, let her go. But I can't actually recall if that's true, whether or not there was a gun, which feels like a really important detail. But either way, he had such a command to him that was sort of threatening. That I wasn't getting that energy from him, but he gave it to second attacker. The dude dropped me. They both dropped me. They got in the car and screeched off. And then, oddly enough, I sat there on the pavement, waiting for them to come back for easily 10 minutes. Just waiting. And then I went inside the house, didn't wake my host up at all, didn't wake anyone up. Went into the room and sat there on the bed and waited for the sun to come up half expecting my attackers to return to the house and come to the window. I did, maybe an hour in, think to call my boyfriend, who was staying in the same city at his parents' house, but his phone didn't work. He was in the basement of his parents' home, so I knew his phone wouldn't work. He had to come outside to call me. So I thought to leave him a message, and the message was, Hi, babe, I've been attacked. I'm fine. Just give me a call when you wake up. I didn't call the police. That's it. None of them. them. I called the police later on that day when it occurred to me. And of course, they confirmed that that was an intended gang initiation that somehow I (laughs) escaped. You escaped that whoever
0: was going to get points for that was going to have to do it another way. Yeah. So this conversation that we were having, I've, I've heard that story so many times, and it always just gives me the yitz. It gives me chills. And you guys, Dan and Dave, when Zibi says that she sat down on the pavement after her attack and just sat there, you guys nodded knowingly and said, oh yeah, that's what we call the goofy loop.
3: I think I had mentioned last night during dinner that the goofy loop, it's kind of like that process where your brain's rebooting and you're trying to sift through everything that just happened. For police officers, we're kind of, you know, you put the vest on, you put the uniform on, that engages a switch with us where now our state of mind is we're on a little heightened alert there's different terms for it but you know people talk about condition yellow where you're cautious and you're alert condition white where you're kind of oblivious to everything around you and decompressing or you're kind of going brain dead that's one of those situations where for a police officer we're kind of expecting the unexpected but certainly somebody who just arrived home they've just wrapped up a phone call they're gathering their belongings and all of a sudden you've got one attacker not to mention two that have now taken physical control of you a lot of people aren't prepared to deal with that in the moment they take a few moments after or a few minutes where they're trying to figure out what the hell just happened
1: yeah i mean even in that moment i had my keys in my hand which had mace on on them i was the entire time had my keys and never even occurred to me to try and fumble with the mace.
3: And it's not surprising. I think that's why Dan and I nodded last night in acknowledgement that that doesn't surprise me that somebody wouldn't just think, oh, well, I have this pepper spray on my keychain that I can handle this situation right now because you're not trained to do
0: that.
2: And physically, your brain shuts down to a certain level where it's just survival instinct at that point. You're just not hitting on all cylinders. You're not accessing parts of your brain that, you know, logic resides in. The goofy loop is called the OODA loop, O-O-D-A, and it's observe, orient, decide, and act. I believe it was back in the 60s when this term was coined. We always refer to it as the goofy loop. You're doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. It's a loop. You're just... And getting no results. It's like a scratched record. And we see it in law enforcement when guys are in stressful situations. Normal citizens get put in stressful situations also, but you see it in law enforcement where, you know, a guy keeps screaming, put the gun down, put the gun down, put the gun down, and he keeps saying it, but he's not getting compliance from the suspect. To some degree, he's stuck in the goofy loop. you got to change your tactics at some point. He's not responding to put the gun down. You see guys that get tackled by law enforcement, and the officer is saying, get on the ground, get on the ground. Well, the guy's on the ground, so... Let's change our message. So it's not surprising for people who haven't been placed in highly stressful situations, survival situations, to have a response like you did. And that fear that you smelled, I absolutely believe that you smelled his fear. Being a canine officer, that fear scent that we talk about, it's enhanced scent. And it's actually your body is sweating from different areas. And it's a different chemical compound of sweat that is actually coming out. So it does smell different. Wow. And it's like crack to canines. They smell that. And it's like catnip. It's the best drug they've ever had. And they know exactly what that smell is.
1: I find it so interesting that that's what I identified it to be, which sort of tells me I went into a very primal survival space. I don't think I'd ever had the cognitive thought, oh, I think I'm smelling someone's fear, or that even fear was something I could smell. And then would you say that other instinct, I don't know, it just came out the fuck you over and over and over again was my goofy loop? Because there was no strategy.
3: I think there's the fight, flight, or freeze emotions that people feel you choose one of the three when you've got this critical situation in front of you people react differently for people that are used to that or in your case you chose the fight you recognize this is a situation and you chose to fight you raise your voice you started swinging other people might try to run but the guy's going to grab him other people might just freeze and they can't react whatsoever you know Scared. paralyzed with fear Paralyzed with fear, scared stiff.
1: Well, that came over me at the side of the second guy. And then they had no problem picking me up. It was like Scooped both. you right up, right? Yeah, scooped me right up. Whereas the first guy couldn't get a hold. It was like the fight was there and then I lost my fight and I froze. And then I stayed frozen when they left. I even felt, if I'm being totally honest, like I belonged to them and I was waiting for I'm sure if you got a psychologist in here, they could probably help us define what that moment was, where I felt like I was supposed to—I belonged to them—and now I was supposed to stay and wait for them to come and get me.
0: I was curious when the second guy with the knife cut your shirt. Do you think he meant just to cut your shirt or he meant to cut you?
1: Yeah, I always felt like he meant to really cut me. It felt like an act of establishing his power and his capability of violence. But it was so sloppy at the time because attacker number one wasn't fully committed. So in my mind's recollection, there was still sort of this awkward tussle.
0: So you were still able to squirm, even though you, you speak about being paralyzed with fear.
1: Yeah, the first guy was actually more squirmy than I was at that point. Oh, interesting. You know, I clocked the knife, and the first guy, again, he just felt so afraid that he wasn't presenting me perfectly enough to be fully cut. And yes, I felt instantly more vulnerable and exposed, like— Like, it's strange how my shirt being cut and now exposing me in just my bra made me feel instantly weaker. Even that little bit of protection of your shirt is now gone. And it sounds so crazy, and I don't always necessarily tie this to the event, but Really, ever since then, I've never, ever been able to go to sleep without a shirt on. You know how some people can sleep naked? I'm not one of those people. But more specifically, I can't be exposed at night. And I've had partners ask me before, like, why? But there's something about the nature of being so unguarded when you're sleeping. You know, the body just goes to sleep and just that's it. You're not on guard. And so having my chest exposed has never, ever felt particularly safe, especially when I'm sleeping. It's the strangest thing, but maybe it's about that. I totally get that. I, uh, when I was married my,
0: the second time, I, I have had terrible insomnia forever and ever, but I did sleep better when I was married the second time. And I and we slept in very different patterns. Like I would go to sleep at 10 or 11 and my second husband wouldn't fall asleep until three. And then I would wake up early and he was still asleep. So in some ways, I think I felt as though somebody was watching over me. Um, <laughs> yeah. Although I wouldn't be able to speak to the technical aspect of this, what you're describing sounds like some form of PTSD to me.
1: That's so interesting. When my shirt was cut open and my chest was more exposed, albeit I was still in my bra, it became instantly clear that I was the weaker female, specifically the female, and that there were things that these two men could do to me as a female that you can't do to another guy. And I felt that so specifically.
0: As a woman, I have a very visceral connection to that comment. But I also am surprised and grateful that he didn't take another swipe at you.
1: Me too.
2: One of the things that I think is noteworthy in in your account of that event is law enforcement. When we engage with a suspect, hand-to-hand combat, things like that. Unfortunately, I've been in a lot of fights. Not everybody wants to go with the program. The dynamics of human combat are pretty intricate and you recognizing that the guy who 's holding you really wasn 't committed to it really threw a wrench in the plans and you fighting back I think broke some of his commitment and the fact that he can 't control you and this other guy's taking a swipe at you completely changed the dynamics of that event and probably saved you some injury and obviously the worst thing that could happen we all know what that is and thank God you fought back. Because a lot of people don't. And everybody that I talk to, I get questions like this, and so does Dave, about what should I do if this happens? Fight your ass off. They're not expecting you to fight. So don't be a victim. And fight for your life.
1: And you did. It's weird. I never, ever think about or talk about it. So it's, Weird to talk about it and then get feedback about what those dynamics are. You know, I've never stopped to think about how my fighting back was potentially the thing that was the wrench in the plan, you know, that I put a wedge between this guy's initial intention, the first guy when he got, got out of the car, and his lack of commitment, his lack of follow-through.
2: Well, how, how long do you think that they sat in this car and actually planned what they were going to do? They had it all planned out. They had a guy under your car.
1: They followed me. They,
2: You were sitting in your car, which is a big thing that I don't recommend. Don't sit in your car. Get out of your car. Go to your house. Don't sit in your car when you're walking into a, a parking garage. People can be watching. They can be hiding behind cars. So go to your car, get in your car, and leave. Don't sit there and text and things like that. Get out of that situation. When the second guy shows up, and you mentioned the knife...
3: That's also a survival technique. You recognize this guy's got a deadly weapon, and he just swung it at me and almost got me. That's just a survival technique that now you recognize, okay, well, I'm not prepared to deal with that. So would fighting have caused him to maybe plunge the knife inside you? So it's just, to me, that's just being agile and adjusting your survival technique.
1: What What do you think it was that made the first guy refused to, to choose me.
2: I think that he wasn't prepared for the response you gave him. The fuck you, fuck you, and the swinging. I think he fully expected you to be compliant, be a freezer. And I'm guessing that he had not done that before.
3: Maybe that's why he's chosen for this potential initiation activity is that he's got to prove himself. So with him, who knows? It's all speculation, but There could have been uh, a large part of him that respected the way you reacted to it, that you weren't just going to go without a fight. And then there's another point where you look up at him and you guys make eye contact. When you see a wounded animal and you look into their eyes, it's different than looking at it from 50 yards away. There's a connection there, and who knows? Maybe that coupled with him respecting that you put up a fight, that you weren't just going to go with him. He was like, I don't want to be a part of this, at least with this particular victim. I guess you
2: could say his internship as a gangster ended that day. (laughs) He's not going to get hired.
0: Hey, small town fam. It's Yardley. It's going to be summer soon. So the potential for stinky pits is imminent. That's why I really love Lumi. I'm obsessed with their sweat control, cream deodorant. I think I've said this so many times, but honest to God, I never thought I'd use a cream deodorant because they're sloppy and gloppy and sticky and bleh. But Lumi isn't any of those things. It dries quickly, it's never sticky, and it doesn't leave any white streaks on my dark clothing. So all of those things are a win for me. If you're not familiar with Lumi, let me tell you a few things. Six years ago, an OBGYN invented her game-changing whole-body deodorant, and now it has over 300,000 five-star reviews from people like me. Lumi is baking soda-free, paraben-free, and pH-balanced, so it's safe for your pits and your bits, which means you can use it below the belt. They have a lovely variety of fresh, bright scents like clean tangerine, my favorite, lavender sage, or toasted coconut. And the secret to Lumi's success is it's formulated and powered by mandelic acid. That's how it stops odor before it starts. So, small-town fam, Lumi Starter Pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid-stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, my fave, and two free products of your choice, like mini body wash or deodorant wipes, and free shipping. And on top of that, as a special offer for listeners, new customers get 15% off all Lumi products with our exclusive code which is smalltown and if you combine the 15% off with the already discounted starter pack that equals over 40% off the starter pack so use code smalltown for 15% off your first purchase at lumideodorant.com that's code smalltown at l u m e deodorant.com do it hey folks
3: Detective Dave here. Let me tell you about Safe, the home security system that I trust to keep my family safe. I depend on Safe to provide me and my loved ones with 360-degree coverage of my property and valuables. I love the variety of monitoring sensors available with Safe home security. You get a glass break sensor, which in my experience is one of the most effective tools of detecting a break-in. In addition, Safe offers motion sensors, entry sensors, sirens, and flood and fire detection. with Simply there are no contracts. And if you're not happy with the service or the product, they have a 60-day money-back guarantee. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind. We want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off any new Simply Safe system with Fast Protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/smalltown. That's simplysafe.com/smalltown.
0: of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash town. That's right. You get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash town. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash town. Do
1: it. This story led to another part of a conversation we had last night that I found really interesting, and you touched on it a tiny bit already. Being officers exposed to high stress situations, you were saying, sort of primes you to be able to slow time down a little bit more when you're in a confrontational situation.
2: We call it stress inoculation. The more situations that you're put in that are high stress, your body becomes used to that feeling. You're never going to be fully prepared for every scenario and and you're going to react differently. But the more situations that you're put in where you have to access adrenaline, it's intoxicating sometimes, that adrenaline. And when you can recognize that you're tapping into adrenaline, you're accessing other parts of your brain and you're conscious of it, it calms you and you're able to make better decisions in those circumstances the more times you've been exposed to it. Right. I
3: remember my first vehicle pursuit that I actually initiated, went to initiate a traffic stop on a vehicle that I recognized they're probably up to no good, but waited until I got a violation that I can pull this person over and I'm not violating their constitutional rights. I finally go to pull them over and this guy didn't even tap the brakes, accelerated. And I remember thinking, well, that's different and suddenly pulled a u-turn i get on the radio and i'm excited because i've been waiting for this like you know i want to start a pursuit i've been in pursuits but i hadn't been the one to finally catch a fish so to speak so the guy takes off and we start heading towards the freeway and i remember being excited on the radio and the dispatcher she recognized it in my voice and she said how many occupants And it kind of knocked me out of the excited pursuit. And I said, there's three occupants. And I remember saying to myself, breathe. And I took a few deep breaths, recognizing that if I'm a shit show or a circus on the radio, that my sergeant's going to say, this guy can't handle this. He's in over his head. Terminate that pursuit because you're not dealing with it very well. It was graveyard. There's no traffic. The chase is on. And I calmed down. Honestly, within three or four seconds, I was, okay, we're going to be westbound on this freeway. Speeds are 90. We ended up going over 120 and into the neighboring city. But I remember the dispatcher kind of knocked me out of that goofy loop where even within seconds after she did, I was like, I know what she did there.
0: So she did that on purpose, you you believe?
3: I do. She's really experienced. She's one of those voices on the radio. All of our dispatchers, you know, you can recognize their voices. They have different inflections. She's a veteran dispatcher, and she probably dealt with that before. Like, here we go. We got a green rookie officer who just started his first pursuit. Let's see how he handles this. And she hears that I'm excited and trips me up, knocks me out of it.
1: It is impressive to be able to take command in that moment because adrenaline is so powerful. We know there's like a biochemical effect that it has. That must be such a thing in what you guys do. How much are you guys trained in snapping yourself out of the Goofy Loop or taking command.
2: I think everybody's different. There's training. We do scenario-based training, but you're never going to replicate the actual stress of an actual call, an actual fight. You know, being in a fight for your life and in every fight that the police are in, a gun is involved. Even if the suspect is unarmed, my gun is there and I cannot lose that fight. If I lose the fight, I die. And the other side of that is when we do get into a fight with someone, we want to end it as quickly as possible. We don't want to get into a title fight with this guy. So when my use of force rises to the level where I'm going to use focus blows, punching people, kneeing them, I'm going to hit them with everything I got to get that fight over as fast as possible, get them in handcuffs, and then we're done. Because the longer I stay in that fight, the more chance I have of getting hurt and the suspect of getting hurt. So let's get it over as fast as possible.
0: And you're talking about a situation where the suspect is already trying to fight you.
3: Yes. So my second day in uniform, it's the source of much humor at our department. They've given me the uniform, the vest, the belt with the gun and the handcuffs and the baton and flashlight and radio. But I don't know what I'm doing out there. It's like looking down at yourself going, well, who...
2: You haven't even gone to the academy. Yet.
3: I hadn't even gone to the academy. Like, who dressed me up for this costume party? So, <laughs>
0: Wait a second. You get all that stuff before you go to the academy?
3: Yeah, it, at least in our agency and, and other agencies, they don't just have an academy that
2: starts the Monday that you start. They've staggered out academy start dates. Yeah, you may work for a week or two. I work for two weeks, or it could be a month. And then they send you off to the academy because there's an open spot in that academy class.
0: That seems a little bit... Treacherous. Is that why when you go out, before you go to the academy, they send you out with a field training officer?
2: Yes, but when you get out of the academy, you still got another probably 16, 17 weeks of field training to do. What they do provide you with is emergency vehicle operation instruction, and they also give you some defensive tactics training before you go out and put on the clown suit and, uh, <laughs> and go to work.
0: I see.
3: So my second day in uniform, right out of the gate, we were working swing shift. It's probably four in the afternoon. We pull a car over. My training officer goes up to address the driver and get his you know, documents and license. I'm just there to basically be his cover officer put eyes in the vehicle, see what's in there. There's a passenger who is pretty animated, yelling, screaming. He's loud, basically screwing up this whole traffic stop. Nobody can communicate because this guy is so over the top loud. Well, this guy had pulled over right in front of the passenger's house. And that's where we're doing this traffic stop. So the family starts to come out to the porch and this passenger wants to get out. And I honestly, I know what I'm there for is to make sure that these two guys don't take the fight to my partner. So we try to keep their attention divided. I want the driver's attention on this officer and I'll take the passenger. But again, I'm untrained and have no experience. So this passenger at some point gets out and I remember him being extremely angry and he was a large man, overweight, really fired up, really animated. And we end up over on the driver's side of the car, but back towards the police car. And at some point We asked for more units because now we got the family that we're dealing with. They're screaming at us from the front porch, 20 feet away. We've got this angry passenger and my FTO is dealing with this driver. Two other units showed up. That unit is an FTO with another officer that got hired the same day that I did. So now you got two boots, two new guys, and you've got two veteran officers. The veteran officer that joined us, he came over to take more charge because at this point, I don't have any command presence. I don't even know what that means. And he tries to take charge of this situation Well, the guy is not calming down whatsoever, and he ends up pushing the officer. And I recognize I was like, well, you can't do that. That's probably against the law. I don't know what it is, but its I can arrest you for it. So I go to grab onto this guy knowing that, you know, I'd been on enough ride-alongs with Dan at that point that I know you can't do that. So I put my hands on him, and I go to grab him, and he kind of turtles brings his arms in, he's shaking back and forth, like rotating at the hips. So he's trying to shake us off of him. And I'm taking it easy on him because his two kids are out front with the wife and they're all screaming at us. And I don't, I didn't punch him. I didn't elbow him in the head for pain compliance or to knock him out or get him down onto the ground. All I could think was we need to get him off of his feet. So I went to try to sweep his leg and I tore all the ligaments off my kneecap in that motion and broke my lower leg. Uh. And so I'm down on the ground going, well, my foot is pointing in a direction that I don't, I recognize <laughs> oh, it's probably gross. not healthy. And I'm trying to scoop my kneecap had gone out to the outside of my left knee. And I remember being on the ground and trying to dig my fingers under my kneecap and pull it back to the correct position. I oh, couldn't get it there. So... He's on the ground, he's got two officers on him, and he's got his arms free, and he's hitting me in the shins, (laughs) like in this tantrum.
2: Like your broken shin?
3: Yeah. I didn't know my leg was broken at that point. I just knew that my left leg was out of commission. So, long story short, we end up getting this guy in handcuffs. I remember sitting on the ground, and I could hear one of the officers had called for Code 3 cover, because this guy still wasn't in cuffs at the time.
0: Wait, what's Code 3?
3: Code 3 is lights and sirens. So- You start hearing the city light up with sirens and they're all coming to us. And I remember in that moment sitting there going, well, this hurts a lot, but this is the greatest fucking job ever. So one of the things that my partner, Matt and I present to typically is high school students We talk about online safety and awareness, but a piece of that, I also have a slide dedicated to just situational awareness. Nowadays, you see it all the time. I actually saw an article the other day where a girl had her face buried in her cell phone and she's walking around train tracks and gets hit by a train because she's not paying attention to what's around her. She's so enveloped in this cell phone that she didn't realize there's a freight train coming at her and she gets hit by this train. So we stress, hey, if you're out for a walk, certainly at night, but it happens in the daytime too. Criminals are opportunists. So if they're walking down the street and they see someone who's not paying attention to anything, they think, well, I could probably just walk right up on this person and grab that cell phone and their purse. And they would never have any idea that I was just a few paces behind them. Run by, snatch and grab, boom, they're gone. So we preach, get your head up. If you're out in public and you're doing things, be aware of what's around you. If you feel like someone's following you, cross the street. It's a heat check. It's counter surveillance. If they cross with you, we might have some issues. Just be alert. Certainly when you spoke about these guys crawling out from under your car, in my presentation I have for these girls and guys that Go on after high school and they get a job, say, as a server or a bartender or some place where they're getting out of work late and going to a largely abandoned parking lot and their car's out there. As they're approaching their car, look under the car. Look in the back seat. If you've got an SUV, check the cargo area, just so you're not surprised. It's certainly a one-off Your situation, or another situation where somebody approaches their car and they get grabbed from below and knocked off their feet, and now they're getting mugged. But it happens. So be a little proactive about your own safety. I talk to girls all the time. If you're out at a house party or out at a bar and some stranger or even someone you think you can trust approaches you with a drink, assess that person's credibility and whether or not you want to accept whatever they might have put in your drink. We get cases. I won't say all the time, but fairly regularly where the following day they wake up and they don't remember anything that happened the night before. All they remember is they had a couple of drinks. They remember being around this person. They wake up in the morning and they're not wearing their clothes. They're in some stranger's bed and they're like, what happened last night?
1: That's terrifying.
3: Right. And those are situations where I want to teach parents to teach their sons to respect women and their choices not to take advantage of people who are vulnerable or incapacitated. In our state, if you have sexual intercourse or sexual contact with somebody who's incapacitated or doesn't have their mental faculties, that's a really serious crime. Going to prison for a long time type crime.
0: For Zibby and I, the takeaway of this episode was many-fold, so we hoped that if we told these stories, our listeners would also hear some useful information about what to do and what not to do should you find yourself in a compromising situation.
1: Small Town Dicks is produced by Zibby Allen and Yardley Smith for Paperclip Limited, with editing from Logan Heftel, Billy Florio, Yardley, and Zibby.
0: Music for the show was composed by John Forrest.
1: If you like what you hear, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever else you like to listen to your podcasts.
0: And follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at SmallTownDicks. Also, visit our website, SmallTownDicks.com, for more information and to leave questions and comments for the team.